Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson, the Eric Erickson Show across the nation. Delighted to have you with me. Hope you got blue skies wherever you are. The phone number, should you wish to be on this year program, 877-973-7425. You can always get me online at EW Erickson. Follow me on Instagram there. I, by the way, on Wednesday, I need you to know this out of the gate because it's very important. I'm not a, not a margarita tequila person, but Oh my gosh, I have spent my time experimenting, taking one for the team. You'll get a fantastic recipe for margaritas and margarita mix on Wednesday if you text recipe to 33777. My apologies to the Baptists. Now, we got to talk about the big headline of the day. Obviously, it is the shooting in Buffalo, New York. Here's my problem out of the gate. As you are aware... As you see happening, as you will undoubtedly continue to see happening, the media is using this to attack Republicans. It is not a coincidence that it comes the same day the Politico runs a story, which we will get to, that Joe Biden and the Democrats have decided, uh, stop being nice. They're going to attack, 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 attack. That's going to be their message for the midterms is attack, 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 attack. They're going to savage the Republicans. They are doing it today by trying to say that the Buffalo, New York shooter was inspired by Fox News and that the Republicans are white supremacists. Rolling Stone magazine referred to the shooter at the grocery store in New York as a quote unquote mainstream Republican. is infuriating, not just for its lack of dishonesty, but the crassness of it. Never let a crisis go to waste while dead bodies are still warm on the ground, uh, engaging in the blame game, the, the obvious blame game. Here's Peter Baker of the New York Times. These, these people who have come into the country aren't going to become citizens overnight. But broadly speaking, what you're saying is we're not going to even bother to compete for them. We're not going to tell immigrants aren't born Democrats and not born Republicans. Uh, you know, Republicans, Democrats compete for their loyalty by offering them a platform that they can agree with or not agree with, as it may be. And that's something that George W. Bush and Ronald Reagan and other Republicans certainly understood. They believed in competing for those votes. And what the strategy here is saying is we're not going to do that. We're going to play to white grievance. We're going to play to the sense that um, that something untoward is happening when people come into this country. And he goes on to tie all of this to the shooter, Eugene Robinson on MSNBC. You will note all these conversations are happening on MSNBC. I mean, I'm I'm going to point the finger at those who are doing it. Point the finger at people like Elise Stefanik, uh, uh, who's in the Republican leadership, who used to be uh, just a kind of normal, small government, uh, pro-business Republican uh, saw that was not the way to power, uh, and then went went completely MAGA. Um, uh, you know, wanted wanted the, the party to burn uh, Liz Cheney at the stake for uh, being honest about what happened on January sixth, and now um, uh, and now she's on Facebook. She's playing with great replacement theory and putting it out there in a in a way that is just unspeakable and unthinkable, but it's happening. It's not just her. This is becoming part of the mainstream ideology of the Republican Party right now, and that is 
unacceptable, but it's happening. And um, and when and how is it going to stop? Because this is going to continue. This is predictable. It's going to continue. There are going to be more of these. You know, so here's the problem. Um, they want to be dismissive. I, I'm not actually, I don't subscribe to the great replacement theory. I, I, I do think it is. it fosters grievance uh, where there is none. Uh, fosters grievance and tries to explain the world in a way it's not. Uh, you know, I'm when I was a kid, it was always the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, before I was born, it was the United Nations. Then it was the Trilateral Commission and the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, when I was an adult, it became the World Economic Forum in Davos. And then there's always the Bilderbergers and the Illuminati and the like. People trying to explain the world around them as they feel like they've lost control in a complex system. And they're coming up with something. And now it's great replacement theory. It's, it's as much a conspiracy as all of the others. Uh, frankly, we need more workers in this country across the board. Now, we can't afford to replace anyone, uh, and, and I don't think there's anyone out there trying to do that, but it fosters grievance, and some people take advantage of it, but also people on the left attribute way more to it than there actually is, and they attribute to Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and Fox News and Ann Coulter and Michelle Malkin and the like, um, all sorts of invidiousness that they don't actually subscribe to, but it's easy to paint them and provide them as the faces of evil in America. You know, this guy, he's to blame. The shooter, whose name I will not use, he is to blame. But we can't just blame him these days. There's got to be larger issues at stake. And, and, you know, unfortunately, some people on the right are already pushing their own conspiracy theory here. Uh, he wrote a manifesto. All sorts of crazy people over time write manifestos. Remember the, um, oh, what was his name, the, the Unabomber? He wrote a manifesto. Uh, it was He was an environmental wacko. Um, they, they always write manifestos, but, uh, in Michigan, the kidnapper who organized the plot to kidnap Gretchen Whitmer, except I guess he didn't, he was found not guilty. He wrote a manifesto, but he was encouraged by the FBI agent who kind of pushed him towards the final plan to write the manifesto. And so immediately some people on the right around, Oh, he had a manifesto. I guess this was a staged event by the FBI. That's as crazy until we know more as, as blaming Tucker Carlson, for the shooter. I, I got to, I, I, you know, I'm old enough to remember this happened a few years ago. This was during the Obama administration, I think. Maybe it was before that, but I think it was the Obama administration. A man stormed into the Discovery Channel in Maryland, to their headquarters in Maryland. He took hostages. He shot the place up. And a lot of progressives on social media were rushing to say, oh, it must be a Republican. It must be a conservative. And they're upset about the Discovery Channel covering climate change. And it became a thing. And people were on television. And they were speculating on this while he was still in the building with hostages. That it had to be a Republican. No liberal would take over the Discovery Channel. They're doing yeoman's work on climate change. Well, it turned out the guy was a progressive who thought the Discovery Channel was not doing enough to cover climate change. The story immediately died. The blue checks deleted their tweets. 
I mean, literally, people who were blaming Republicans went in, deleted all their tweets, trying to cover up that they were blaming Republicans. The guy was a progressive. They immediately moved on from the story. So quickly after it was over, I bet some of you don't even remember the story. There was Jared Lochner, who tried to kill Gabby Giffords, killed a federal judge in the process, and Sarah Palin got the blame. In fact, New York Times recently, I mean, she's in a lawsuit where they blamed her again for it, and it wasn't true. And the guy turned out to be apolitical to the extent he had ever expressed political views. He was a leftist, but he was just a nut job. That's it. He was just a nut job. The story died immediately. There was Floyd Lee Corkins, who went into the Family Research Council and tried to kill them all and stuff their dead faces with Chick-fil-A sandwiches because they were anti-gay. It turned out he was a left-wing activist. The story died pretty rapidly. And, of course, most famously, James Hodgkinson, who attempted the mass assassination of Republican members of Congress. The moment it turned out he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, the story went away. You know, uh, as a matter of fact, um, Mary Catherine Ham, who is on CNN, has written about this, that she was supposed to be on television to talk about him, the mass assassination attempt, and the political violence and incendiary rhetoric out there. And the moment it turned out he was a Bernie Sanders supporter, they canceled the news hit on her. There was actually the um, the Jared Lochner story stayed on the front page of the New York Times longer than the mass assassination attempt of Republicans of Congress. When there was no political motive whatsoever by that guy, but as long as they could say there was, they dragged that story out. And the moment it turned out it wasn't true, they stopped covering it with, with James Hodgkins, and it turned out pretty quickly – he was a left-wing nut job, and they dropped the story. But now we will go ad nauseum for days, if not weeks, on end with this guy in Buffalo, New York, because he's a white supremacist. The blame game perpetuates the cycle of violence. And by the way, there are people out there who are not crazy, are not racist, are not evil who are concerned by the the great replacement theory articulated by some. Instead of vilifying them, maybe calm them down and explain to them why it's not true. Show them it's not true. But they won't do that because it's good for the left if the right gets the blame. If the right is vilified, uh, maybe voters in November won't do what they're otherwise going to do. Here's a problem, the real problem, evil. We don't talk about evil because evil is something theologians talk about. So people typically don't talk about evil in polite society and on television. They don't want to talk about it. Evil is not that God allows bad things to happen or, or God wills bad things to happen or God does bad things. Evil is the absence of God. Where God is not, evil is. We have a spiritual crisis in the United States of America. No politician, no political party, no political group, no TV host, and no radio host can fix the problem. We have a crisis of American consciousness. We have people who have the voice in the back of their head telling them they're here for greater purpose, and they are encouraged by all of society to shut it out and not listen to it. 
we are becoming a post-church, post-Christian society. Evil has creeped back in as God has been pushed aside. This isn't my day or time or, or, or appropriate area to get theological on you, but the fact of the matter is we as Americans have a spiritual crisis. It is all pervasive, and no politician wants to speak about it. They want to use the crisis to blame the other side, perpetuating the spiritual crisis. But across the board, we have a collapse of family. We have a collapse of society. We have a collapse of community. We have a collapse of friendship. We have a collapse of bonding. We have a collapse of, of mental fortitude and morale in this country because we are in a spiritual crisis. And the leader of this country, the president of the United States, could at least help alleviate the problem and call on the churches and community groups of America and call for people to rise to the challenge of the occasion and heal each other's souls and be friends and love their neighbor. And instead, he wants to use the opportunity to vilify the opponent uh, opponent political party which will make the crisis worse and the cycle of violence will perpetuate. This is a solvable, fixable crisis. But there are not enough people in Washington, D.C. who want to solve the problem as opposed to take advantage of the crisis, never let it go to waste, to advance their own political agenda. The left will go with guns and demand gun control and demand a gun agenda. According to the manifesto of the shooter, he chose where he went because of gun control laws, knowing that if anyone was armed, they would be limited in the munitions they could carry and more likely than not, could not carry any at all. He chose an area of gun control. It's not the answer to have more of it. The bad guys will not give up their guns and people already feel unsafe, which is why they're buying guns. But both sides, but particularly the left, on defense in a midterm election season will use this tragedy, this violence, this evil to wage a political campaign. And that political campaign will only exacerbate the tensions and the problems, will not solve them. At heart, we in America are in a spiritual crisis and our politicians are as much the problem as they are able to point us towards the solution. And unfortunately for them, the solution is not them, so they have no vested interest in helping us arrive at the solution. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know, I used to have a great business sense and love to invest, and it just got overwhelming, and I've been looking to get back into it, and y'all, I have tried the different companies. Y'all know the companies I'm talking about out there, and I settled on SoFi for a lot of reasons, and now I'm actually happy to tell you about them as a podcast advertiser. I'm happy they came on board because I came on board them before this, and I really like it. And one of the reasons I like it is because it's gotten so complicated with all the jargon out there. You got meme stocks, altcoin, you got shilling for different stocks. You don't know who you can trust. Uh, with SoFi, you can actually get into investing stocks, ETFs, crypto, retirement planning. You get all the IRA options, whether SEP, traditional, or Roth. You don't get commissions on trading stocks and ETFs. You get no account fees or hidden fees. 
You can use fractional shares that start as low as $5 to buy brand name stocks. Even if you don't have a couple thousand dollars lying around, you can get started for cheap with SoFi putting your money in and watching it grow over time. Now listen, you get hands-on with active investing. You can let SoFi's number one ranked automated investing tool, their robo-advisor, take the stress out of building and managing a diversified portfolio. They've got it all there. It's easy to use. I've been using it. I love the interface. It's intuitive. If I can do it, you can do it. Cut through the jargon. Make investing easy with SoFi. Go to SoFi.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K, to learn how you can win up to $1,000 in stock when you open an account. That's SoFi.com slash Eric, S-O-F-I.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Brokerage and active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. So I did something this weekend. Uh, I I could tell I've been needing a bit of a break. So I uh, Philip and I went fishing this weekend. Uh, you know the... Uh, Branson, Missouri and Dollywood, they're both owned by a company or, or managed by a company now out of Atlanta. Um, I think it's Hirschner's or something like that. Uh, Hershend, Hershend Family Entertainment. They have taken over Callaway Gardens, which if you're in east of the Mississippi in particular, it's it's well worth a trip. They got some beautiful golf courses. Uh, you can hire a guide. They've got some great private lakes. Uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful, peaceful place out in the middle of nowhere. It's thousands of acres. It was so relaxing. It was so wonderful. Um, I, we used to take my kids there when they were little. And we haven't been in probably a decade. And, and it, the place is kind of, it, it went into decline. You can kind of tell, but they're revitalizing it now with this this Hershen Family Entertainment Company taking it over. Um, kind of excited by it, but my gosh, uh, I got out on some lakes, probably caught 40 to 50 bass uh, in a four hour fishing trip between Philip and me. Uh, and it was just, it was nice. You were in these cottages tucked up in the woods and I normally, there's this place called Barnsley Gardens. I absolutely love Barnsley. It's one of my happy places. I can go just relax. And it was completely sold out. It's just kind of, kind of exploded in popularity. And it's hard to get to. I find it so relaxing. It's a little more upscale than what Callaway is. Callaway's got the potential to do it. But I had so much fun. The golf course was fantastic. The uh, the, the, the cabin was renovated and nice. The fishing was fantastic. I wish they'd let you roam the property with your fishing pole yourselves, but you got to have a guide outside of one of the big lakes. It was just if you're in the southeast – this is not an ad. I'm just telling you, I had a thoroughly enjoyable, relaxing weekend uh, at Callaway Gardens, and it's it's worth checking out if you've never been there. Beautiful, beautiful property. And trails through the woods, you, you can rent bikes or a golf cart even or just walk, and they've got trails, paved paths through the woods. You are at one with nature and so quiet and so peaceful. It really was nice, nice to be in a place. There was cell phone reception in most of the park. But it was just, it was good for my soul to be out there, um, not having to run around in errands. It's been a crazy, crazy two weeks, so I needed the break. Greetings, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to call, I'll chat with you. At the uh, 2 p.m. hour live, that's the third hour, uh, Agriculture Commissioner Gary Black of Georgia is going to join me. He's the last of the Senate candidates we are profiling. Um, we extended the invite to Herschel Walker, 
uh, their campaign did not want to do the interview. So we will have interviewed every uh, Georgia Senate candidate running, except for Herschel Walker, uh, who has minimized his um, appearances. And I don't think I don't know that they want to spend an hour in conversation. Um, although I mean I don't see why not. But nonetheless, their choice. Um, I want to talk about Herschel and uh, Kathy Barnett and the other senators. I, I suspect one of the reasons that, that Walker's team doesn't want to do the interview is because I've said accurately reporting based on my own conversation with people in Washington that there is some concern about what he's getting into in the general, that they there's some concern about whether his team is prepared for what's going to happen. The Democrats are going to play for keeps. And I have said, and I think it's true, that a lot of the folks in Washington who are publicly very supportive behind the scenes are afraid he's just a very heavy lift to get into the Senate. And they're a little bit concerned now with Kathy Barnett. Kathy Barnett is the MAGA candidate in Pennsylvania. And I got to tell you, I'm impressed with her. I think David McCormick in Pennsylvania is a safer pick. I think David McCormick and Kathy Barnett, both of them are way better than Dr. Oz and that uh, kudos to Donald Trump supporters. They have risen up and um, criticized his pick of Oz. He only picked Dr. Oz because some of his friends were pushing Dr. Oz, who's a huckster and a, and a fraud and, and has no business running for the Senate in Pennsylvania, yet here he is. Kathy Barnett, head and shoulders, is, is better than him. But there's a lot of concern. She, she's uh, an exciting candidate because she's not a professional candidate. You know, David McCormick is a um, – he is a professional. He's been in business and government. He's a boring candidate. And boring candidates are tend to be safer picks, so I get the concerns. But I, I, I got to say, I've, I've gone back in the history books because I mentioned to you guys the accidental senators – and this is why I think, uh, even though I think Herschel Walker and Kathy Barnett and some of the others are heavier lifts, I still think they can get elected. I still think they can get elected. We need to go back to 1980, the last time the American economic situation was as bad as it is now. James Earl Carter Jr., history's greatest monster, got attacked by a killer rabbit, and he nearly cried in front of a live studio audience as he lamented the great malaise. Now, I, I listen, I was not an advocate of the idea that James Earl Carter Jr., President Jimmy Carter, was history's greatest monster. But in fact, um, who am I to ever challenge the Simpsons? I uh, give you our 39th president... Jimmy Carter. Oh, come on. He's history's greatest monster. <laughs> <laughs> I got attacked one time for calling him history's greatest monster by someone who had clearly never seen The Simpsons. But he got thrown out of office. Voters swept in Ronald Reagan, who took us from morning in America, M-O-U-R-N, to morning in America, M-O-R-N-I-N-G, with that most famous political ad I have played for you before in his 1984 re-election campaign, literally is considered one of the most famous political ads outside of the 
uh, Lyndon Johnson versus Barry Goldwater out of the 1964 election, uh, Ronald Reagan's Morning in America had set the tone for his reelection. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. Uh, we, you, you get the tone of it. The internet connection is rather spotty right now. Let's see. Here we go. The trade set about half the record highs of 1980. Nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America, and under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? Now, that really is one of the most famous political ads of all time. And it set the tone. 1980 was bad. 1980 was devastating economically. Uh, Reagan and the Republicans, uh, they had to raise interest rates. It hurt American families, but it pulled them out of the recession that Jimmy Carter's policies had started. It got rid of the stagflation and inflation of the Carter administration. By 84, the American economy was roaring. Well, in 1980, the situation was so bad, Ronald Reagan didn't just get swept into office. A group of people who became known as the accidental senators got swept into office with him. James Abner of South Dakota beat George McGovern. Jeremiah Denton of Alabama, John Porter East of North Carolina, Paula Hawkins of Florida, Mac Mattingly of Georgia, Slade Gorton of Washington. They all surprised Americans to become senators. They all ran in very close races. They were the closest races in the country. They were all underdogs. Every single one of them was gone after a term. Abner, Ditton, East, Hawkins, Mattingly, Gorton, all thrown out of office after just one term. Uh, John Porter East of North Carolina committed suicide in June of 1986, uh, facing re-election that it was obvious he was going to lose. And then the others were all thrown out that November serving one term. But the election was a harbinger of things to come, particularly the South turning Republican. Ditton, for example, uh, the senator who became elected in Alabama, lost to Democratic Congressman Richard Shelby in 1986. And then Shelby converted to the Republicans in 1994 and is now retiring from Alabama uh, as the senior Republican senator. But it wasn't just Alabama, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, and South Dakota. Other states flipped, too. Uh, Alaska elected Frank Murkowski, who served until the 2000s and became uh, Alaska's governor, appointed his daughter Lisa to take his seat, Lisa Murkowski, the current incumbent. Idaho elected Steve Sims, who served until 93. He was one of only six people to vote against the Americans with Disabilities Act. Indiana elected future Vice President Dan Quayle. Iowa elected Chuck Grassley. He's the last of the class of 1980 uh, serving still beyond Richard Shelby. New Hampshire elected Warren Redman. Wisconsin elected Bob Caston, who would serve two terms until Russ Feingold beat him. In 1988, Slade Gorton actually came back in, in Washington and won again in 1988 and served until 2000, where he lost to Maria Cantwell. Surprising all the pundits, 1980 was so brutal for the Democrats. The Republicans took the Senate for the first time since 1955. 
They held the Senate just for four years, and then in 14 years later, 1994, they would take the House for the first time in 40 years and the Senate again. The Senate shift in 1980 was actually so big and so unexpected, the Republicans held all 10 seats they had up for re-election. They flipped 12 Democratic seats for a gain of 22 seats. Nobody, literally no one, saw it coming. In fact, it was so unexpected, there was not even an anticipatory transition plan. Howard Baker thought it wasn't going to happen. Howard Baker ran to stop Ronald Reagan. Howard Baker was a moderate Republican from Tennessee. He was the Senate minority leader for the GOP. He got into the Republican primary in 1980 to try to stop Ronald Reagan from Reagan's left. He was convinced Reagan would wreak devastation for the GOP by being conservative. History repeats itself. Baker became majority leader completely unexpectedly because of Jimmy Carter's disastrous effects on the economy and Reagan's coattails. Was majority leader for four years. Ultimately went into the Reagan White House at the end of Reagan's term. Um, Howard Baker did not expect that to happen. Ronald Reagan did not expect that to happen. Pundits on election night in 1980 on television were at a loss for words. They had never seen anything like this. It was the biggest showing for the GOP since 1946. It was the largest swing in Senate elections since 1958. It empowered Strom Thurmond, Jesse Helms, John Tower, Barry Goldwater into Senate leadership. No one had ever seen anything like it in living memory. Now, fast forward to 2022. Our nation's mood is more pessimistic than 1980. Inflation is at a 40-year high. American morale is in such decline. Even people like Jen Psaki and um, Kamala Harris have used the word malaise. We've got a labor shortage. We've got a housing shortage. We've got a baby formula shortage. We've got a food shortage. The 16% of voters who think the country is on the right track is at a 13-year low in the NBC News survey. That also has Joe Biden at historic lows for presidential popularity. Joe Biden in the NBC News poll right now is more unpopular than Donald Trump at this time in 2018. Corporate America seems to be hijacked by the left. They're taking over houses, so Americans are forced into perpetual tenements. They can't develop home equity. Schools are ruining the lives of students with lockdowns, excuses, and indoctrination. Parents are furious at the educators, and the Department of Education is furious at the parents, labeling them terrorists for showing up at school board meetings. Congress won't secure the border or take care of the basic functions of government. They're blowing up deficits. Congress is making inflation worse. The Biden administration is compounding the problems, stopping drilling in Alaska, stopping drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, Joe Biden has a King Midas touch if King Midas turned things to poo. The things Joe Biden touches all turn to poo. I think David McCormick is a safer bet than Kathy Barnett in Pennsylvania. But at least both of them are actual conservatives and actual Republicans. They're both better than Mehmet Oz. I think Herschel Walker in Georgia has so much baggage. He's going to be an enormous lift for voters to get into office, especially when any of the other Georgia Republicans indicators, Kelvin King, Josh Clark, Latham Sadler, Gary Black is going to join me later in the show. I think they would all be easier to get across the finish line. But they can all win. Herschel Walker can win. Kathy Barnett can win. 
even Mitt Oz can win. About the only Republican I don't think can win is probably Eric Greitens in Missouri because he's a sexual predator and a horrible human being. But even in a really bad year for Democrats, they might be able to get it too. We haven't seen an environment this bad politically for the Democrats in a very long time. Even 2010. 2010 was so bad for the Democrats. You literally have to go back to 1896 to see a political incumbent party devastated as badly as the Democrats were in 2010 down to the local level. There were entire city councils in small cities and towns of America that had been Democrat that became Republican in 2010. You got to go back to 1896 to see that sort of ballot devastation for a political incumbent party. I think there are candidates who are stronger candidates, McCormick in Pennsylvania, Vicki Hartzler, Eric Schmidt in Missouri, any of the other Senate Republicans in Georgia, Mark Bronovich in Arizona. I think they're all easier lifts. But just because they're easier lifts doesn't mean the others are impossible. We had in 1980, the economy was so bad. The people were so pessimistic. Morale was so low. We have the phenomenon of what is still today called the accidental senators. People no one expected to get elected, no one saw getting elected. Kathy Barnett, Herschel Walker, they could run an entire campaign, never even debate their Democratic opponents. They could run an entire campaign rallying voters against the wokes, against critical race theory, against the criminals, against the Biden administration. We're seeing a political realignment. All they got to do is run against the wokes and the economy, and they will win. In 1980, you began to see the political realignment of Southern white voters to the GOP. That's why those accidental senators got elected and served for a term. They they weren't quite ready, the Southerners were, to move away from the Democratic Party, but it was coming, and you could tell. The same is happening now with black voters and Hispanic voters. You cannot tell me that a Herschel Walker or Kathy Barnett are impossible. Harder, yes, but not impossible. After all, they're against the wokes, the economy, and Joe Biden. Anything is possible. My kids, this is my transition here. My kids, they're at school this week and it's senior prank week. Someone went into the school and put fish in the ceiling. Yeah, she texted me, says the school smells awful, dead fish in the ceiling. You know what they need? The Eden Pure Thunderstorm. They could get a three-pack right now by going to EdenPureDeals.com and putting Eric 3 in the in the uh, menu bar for the discount. Yes, don't you love this? Perfect tie into the story. It works, too. The Eden Pure Thunderstorm is an air purifier. It packs a wall up. You can get three of them for less than $200. I need to donate some to my kids' school. They can run them and wipe out those dead fish odors because I'm telling you, it wipes out the fry odors, the pet odors, the smoke odors, the bad odors in your house, and it's a purifier, so it gets rid of the mildew, the mold, the bacteria, the pollen floating in the air. What you do is go to EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see a little box asking for a discount code. You put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. It'll direct you over to the thunderstorm. Put it in your cart. You will get three of them for less than $200. You're saving $200, and you get free shipping. It is EdenPureDeals.com, and the discount code is ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, the number three. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. I'm going to take a quick phone call here from David. Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing? Good. 
Hey, I got a, I got a need. I need you to address your enthusiasm. All right, we've we've argued on this or spoke about this issue a couple of different times, and there's no doubt that the Republicans are going to win big in November. Uh, but my fear is they're not going to do anything with it. Um, in the 30 years that I've been paying attention to politics, when they get in power, they're still playing from a defensive mindset and they squander every opportunity they have. And I'm quite frankly, as a voter, I'm getting sick of putting people up there that refuse to do anything other than, as you've mentioned, that they'll keep uh, things from getting worse. They'll keep several pieces of legislation or several issues or things like that from being passed. And then four years later, the Democrats go on and keep, you know, moving their agenda yep. down the tracks. It's Look, kind I, of similar I, to that I, book you talked about a couple of weeks ago about it's the hope that kills you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Look, it, I mean, it, and I'm, I'm fed up with it I'm, because I'm not going to be disappointed because I don't expect them to do anything. I, I, I don't actually disagree with you on this. Uh, Republicans, you, you got to, and you know, it goes back to the history I was talking about. They spent 40 years in the wilderness and I still, think at the leadership level, it pervades their mindset that they don't want to go back into the minority. And, and the way they do that is is doing something that makes people mad and they throw them out there. I mean, it's going to happen to them. They need to accept it and they need to go big or go home. Now, they are restrained, just like the Democrats are, with the filibuster in the Senate, the veto of the president. There are some things that they can do. Like, for example, you know, Trump bullied them into doing tax cuts, uh, which, which really did help the economy. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to make much change. And you know, David, interestingly enough, this is why some some people get out of their go out of their way to embrace conspiracy theories like it's really, really the Trilateral Commission or the Council on Foreign Relations that's controlling things behind the scenes because nothing really changes. It's not them. It's that there is a deep-seated inertia in humanity itself to go big or go home. People don't want to do it. They don't want to take those risks. And the Republican Party is notorious for pulling their punches lest voters throw them out. Democrats in 2010 knew there would be hell to pay over Obamacare, and they did it anyway. Republicans need to get in that mindset of just do the right thing and let the chips fall where they may. For 45 years, pro-lifers have been telling them to do that on Roe v. Wade. It looks like it's finally going to happen, and, and some Republicans are freaked out. Oh, my gosh, the voters might get mad. Good. Let them. We won. Now, the Democrats, on the other hand, have a problem. The voters are about to throw them out of office for doing nothing and too much all at the same time. I'll explain.